This is the Crazy Beautiful Life Podcast. I'm Bethany, but most people call me B, and I'm your host. From health and wellness, money moves, environmentalism, lifestyle design, and more, this podcast helps inspire you to live your most crazy beautiful life. everyone and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. I hope you're having a lovely morning wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I hope that you're having a great day. I hope that you're healthy. I hope that you're hydrated. I hope that you're happy. I hope that you are moving your body today in a way that feels good for you. I'm your host, Bethany Spears, but most people call me B. And I am a white, able-bodied, cisgendered, straight female, and I live in Toronto, Ontario on Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations land. I was recently reflecting and looking through my Instagram and looking through my podcast, and I realized that very soon on March 9th, it will have been one full year since I launched the Estrogen Empire subseries in the podcast. It's been kind of a crazy year. I mean, it's really weird to look back and think about all of the things that we've talked about. It's been a year of just tackling head-on taboo topics and conversations and answering the questions that y'all are too embarrassed or too afraid to ask other people in your lives. It's been a year of raising awareness and uh, providing education regarding various topics in women's health. And it's just been a full year of empowering women and empowering those who identify and those who menstruate. It's just really cool to look back on all of the topics that we've covered this year. But today, as we come up to our one-year Estrogen Empire anniversary and as we approach International Women's Day on March 8th, it's time that I ask the Estrogen Empire to come together and to do something big to do something for others, to do something for those who are most vulnerable. So let's roll the intro. Welcome to Bee's Estrogen Empire. The Estrogen Empire is a brand new series focused on breaking down various topics in women's health. It's time for us to create an empire of women who are informed and assertive and can advocate for their health and the health of women around the world. I'm Bee the host of Bee's Estrogen Empire, and I'm very privileged to have a voice and feel confident enough to discuss these topics. I would like to take a moment to recognize that not all women have female anatomy, and not all female anatomy classifies someone as a woman. The Empire will use evidence-based information to guide topics and discussions. All references will be included in the show notes, and I'm so excited that you're here to join the Estrogen Empire and the movement that we are about to create. Welcome along. During April of 2020, I stumbled across a short film that was called Period End of Sentence. And you guys probably remember me talking about this after I watched this film. I was really, really, really um, upset. I was frustrated. And it was a really great film. And I talked about it a couple of times on the podcast just about my thoughts and how eye-opening that this short film was. It just bothered me and upset me that it literally takes me five minutes. I'm not kidding. I have timed it. It takes me five minutes to walk out of my condo, go into shoppers, and buy a box of tampons that costs me four to six dollars. After watching 
period, end of sentence, and learning about the inequities that menstruators face around the world, I was upset and I wanted to do something about it. And I sat down with my iPad and I just brain dumped, you know, how can we help with period inequities around the world? How can we help period poverty? What can I do? And I just brain dumped everything. On November 24th of 2020, Scotland made history. On this day, November 24th, Scotland became the first country in the world to make menstrual products free. Scotland found um, through research and through various surveys that about 10% of girls in the United Kingdom were unable to afford menstrual products and 15% of those who were surveyed had struggled to afford menstrual products. The researchers uh, studied about 2,000 girls or um, menstruators, and they found that half of them have missed school because of their period. Scotland identified this problem. They did something about it. And when I learned about this back in November, it really got me thinking about um, many of the period inequities that may be present here in Canada. And then as more and more people were talking about period inequities in Scotland, more and more people said, hey, guys, this isn't just an issue in Scotland. This is an issue in Canada as well. I started diving deep and looking into period inequity here in Canada. And what I was finding on the Internet shocked me. The amount of period inequity that is happening here right now in Canada, here in Ontario, is shocking. And once again, it is the Indigenous communities that are at the forefront of the period inequity right here in Canada. As the Estrogen Empire and as those who live in southern communities in Ontario, as settlers, we need to care. We need to talk about this. We need to stop turning a blind eye to the needs of our Indigenous communities in Canada just because it doesn't affect us, just because we don't see it, just because we don't hear about it on mainstream media. Today, we're going to talk about period inequity in Canada. And in the latter half of the episode, I have a very important guest coming on to talk about an organization that is addressing addressing period inequity in Canada. And I'm going to announce what we as the Estrogen Empire, are going to do about it. I first want to start this episode um, by pointing out some of the very distinctive language and choice of words that we will be using throughout this episode. Period poverty is what most people would know if they've been looking into like menstrual inequities and stuff like that. Period poverty is a recognizable word that a lot of us use. Um, but I actually learned from Moontime Sisters about the sort of connotation um, behind the words period poverty. Um, period poverty is used to describe those who cannot afford or access suitable period products. There's no doubt that many individuals around the world and right here in Canada experience period poverty. However, the word poverty is a very loaded word. It sort of implies that we are looking down on a group of individuals and, you know, we're, we're saying you know, you're in poverty and we are coming to help you. It contributes to the stigma that those of lower income are in poverty and we need to save them from that. I just feel like poverty is a very loaded word and I sort of want to deviate from the terms period poverty throughout this episode. Because of this and because of what I learned from Moontime Sisters, I 
really want to try and focus on using the terms period equity and period inequity. Um, I just feel like it's a far better way to describe some of the challenges individuals face when accessing or lack thereof access to menstrual products. One third of Canadian menstruators under the age of 25 have struggled to pay for menstrual products. More specifically, in Indigenous communities, a box of tampons can range from anywhere from $16 to $45. This has led many menstruators to use anything that they can to support their periods and support their moon time and their bleeding. Um, things that people have used have, that have been reported, which I have uh, some references to in the show notes, are things like socks, paper towels, wads of toilet paper, and newspapers. This quote is from Vice Canada, and I think it really outlines just sort of what we're dealing with when it comes to period inequity here in Canada. For some Indigenous women in Canada, having your period is not just a monthly monetary expense. It is a monthly crisis. I'll link this article by Vice Canada in the show notes. It was published in 2017. And it has a photo that shows just how expensive menstrual products are in Northern Indigenous communities in Canada. The photo shows um, a package of always pads, which I've seen at the pharmacy. I worked at a pharmacy for five or six years, actually. And um, at the pharmacy, this exact thing of pads was $3.99 or $4.99. In the photo um, that I've linked in the Vice article, this box of pads is $17.59, which is considered a good price in many North and Indigenous communities in Canada. This discrepancy between, you know, $3.99, $4.99 and upwards of $17, it really shows how bad this situation is. It shows that menstrual products in some communities are considered a luxury rather than a basic human right. Every single person who menstruates should have the right to bleed with dignity, should have the right to bleed with menstrual products that they prefer, menstrual products that they need, um, menstrual products that are not $17, not $45, not anywhere near that. It shouldn't be a question how expensive menstrual products are. It shouldn't be a question of can I afford menstrual products this month. It should be a basic human right to have access to this necessity. A Saskatchewan member of parliament told Vice that women and girls have been known to stay home from work or school while on their periods because they can't afford tampons, pads, or pain relief. And the immense stigma around menstruation keeps many menstruators for speaking up about the struggles that they are, are facing. It keeps many menstruators from, you know, letting their place of work or letting their school know why they're missing so much time, why they require so much time off. There's just so much stigma and shame. And it's, a, it's just such a taboo topic that, you know, women are just staying home and they're not providing their um, educators or their places of work a reason why. And then also there's so much stigma that a lot of women are fearful to reach out and say, hey, I can't afford menstrual products. I need help. Here's the thing. These products cost exponentially more in northern communities. And the average income is considerably lower than communities in the south. 
A 2011 survey found that the average annual income for Indigenous women was $19,289. This is $5,500 less than non-Indigenous women. Menstruators are often faced with battling the choice, do I buy food or do I buy pads? When your period becomes such a burden, it can really challenge the way you see yourself as a woman contributing to society. It can challenge your worth. It can challenge your perceived value and your overall thoughts about what being a woman or living in a woman's body is like. There are currently more than 100 communities across Canada that do not have access to clean drinking water. I want you guys to think about all of the little things that we take for granted. Drinking water, school, road access, affordable groceries, affordable menstrual products, having a washing machine in your home, having a toilet in your home and not an outhouse. These somewhat mundane and meaningless things to us are an absolute luxury in some communities across Canada. And that's not okay. Period period inequity contributes to what we already know to be true. Women's bodies and women's nature and bodily functions are stigmatized, forgotten about, and swept under the rug. But no one suffers more from this than Black, Indigenous, women of color. Socioeconomic privilege has meant that throughout my life, I have never looked at my period as an expense. I have never even... It has never crossed my mind of, can I afford menstrual products this month? I have that socioeconomic privilege. I must see this privilege and I must acknowledge it. And I must do what I can to help empower others and to help others bleed with dignity. To help others know that their period does not have to decrease their worth or their ability to participate in society. I must use this privilege that I have to help uplift others and to help amplify others and help them know that even if they're bleeding, they can go to school, they can go to work, they can play sports, they can have fun, they can participate in activities of daily living, and their period shouldn't be such a burden. March 8th is International Women's Day. This day is really important to me. The Estrogen Empire. I'm calling upon every single one of you in the estrogen empire, every single one of you listening, right here, right now. This coming International Women's Day, let's support Indigenous menstruators in Canada. Starting today, February 15th, until March 8th, I'm collecting donations for menstrual products that will be donated to those in need in Northern Indigenous communities in Canada. These donations are very important, and they mean a lot to those who are on the receiving end. So, for the next few weeks, from March 15th to, or sorry, from February 15th to March 8th, I will be collecting pads, I'll be collecting tampons, hot water bottles, and some reusables. Every single donation matters. One package of pads means that one menstruator will be supported for one or two months, depending on their flow. 
One hot water bottle means that a woman experiencing pain or cramping or anything of the sorts will be able to subside some of that pain she experiences during menstruation. Anything that you can donate matters. Every single donation counts. And it means so much. And it's up to us who can go to the dollar store and who can go to the pharmacy and spend, you know, four to six dollars on a package of tampons and or on a package of pads. It's up to us to help those who are most vulnerable and to help those who need it and to empower them to continue to live their lives and participate in society despite the fact that they are bleeding. I've decided to do this because I recognize that it's important. And I recognize that throughout the last year of the estrogen empire topics, we haven't talked much about the struggles that Indigenous women face. I'll be collecting everything. And on March 8th, once I have everything on March 8th, I will be giving all of the donations over to an organization called Moontime Sisters. Moontime Sisters has three different chapters. They have a British Columbia chapter, Saskatchewan chapter, and Ontario chapter. And they distribute, they are a not-for-profit charitable organization under the wing of True North Aid. And they donate tons and thousands of menstrual products to Northern Indigenous communities across Canada. I decided to bring the founder of the Moontime Sisters Ontario chapter, Veronica Brown, onto the podcast to talk about the organization, how many communities they help, and what products are most commonly requested and more. I want you guys to know that anything you donate is going to an incredible organization who is really thorough and who is doing everything right, who is making sure that they are sending products that are requested, and who is making sure that they are helping menstruators bleed with dignity. So let's hear from the founder of Moontime Sisters Ontario, Veronica Brown. Okay, everyone. So I have a little guest for y'all, and this lovely lady is going to let us know about where your donations are going and where we are donating all the menstrual products that we receive leading up to International Women's Day. So Veronica, welcome to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Me too. I've I've been like itching all day at work, like, oh, I get to talk to Veronica tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. So thank nice. you so much for doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to just let our listeners know a little bit about you and sort of where you came from, what you do, um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, for sure. So I am the founder of the Ontario chapter of Moontime Sisters. Uh, started it back in March of 2017 um, with the guidance from our founder, Nicole, who's in Saskatchewan. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy whirlwind of an adventure from start to right now. Um, I do this all in my spare time. So everything is volunteer based and uh, it's, it, it can be a little bit overwhelming at times, especially as we keep growing and growing and growing, but uh, it's been really humbling to be a part of this and watch how this grows. Uh, during the day, I, I'm, I'm actually on maternity leave right now, which has been lovely. I have a little one-year-old boy who's firecracker. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thanks. He keeps me on my toes for sure. Yeah. So uh, my day job, I am actually an early interventionist. I, I work with children with uh, diverse needs and help them kind of move 
through their development in their younger ages. And I also do a one lesson, one, sorry, one course uh, at Centennial College through the Indigenous Studies program there. We do current issues. So we talk about lots of different things, Indian residential schools, uh, 60 Scoop, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Young Girls. Um, we go through a whole slew of stuff that's going on with Indigenous people. So wow, you have your hands do In a nutshell, yes. <laughs> And when did Nicole start um, Moontime Sisters initially? She actually started a few months before us. So in January 2017. So we started in March. She started in January. Wow. And how have things sort of progressed over the years? You're sort of coming up to your four-year anniversary, which is exciting. Yeah. uh, It has progressed uh, very well um, in terms of the amount of communities that we have been able to partner with, with the amount of donations that we get in. Uh, I, I, I want to say the first time that I ever did a drive, if you will call it that, uh, I got maybe, maybe, I'm going to say maybe 5,000. And that's like a very random estimate. Mm-hmm. Um because I didn't, I wasn't taking numbers at that time. Like now I count everything, but I have I think four boxes. I was driving a, a, a Volkswagen Golf at the time. Me and my girlfriend drove them in my Golf up to Timmins to the airport. <laughs> and we oh camped goodness. in Tomogamy on the way home. It was amazing. It was a great little Aww. trip. Uh, but I would absolutely not be able to do that now. This year, we sent over 225,000 items. Wow. Yeah. So it's been, it's been wild. Um, and even the, uh, the connections, the through the communities that, you know, I've been able to, to be a part of has been really great. This year, we got a ton of locations in Quebec, uh, in Northern Quebec, pretty much like all around the coast of, of Quebec. And um, it just happened through word of mouth, which is wow. really how we are getting um, into a lot of communities and, and able to uh, make these connections is because people know like, Hey, these guys are sending us every year. We call back. What do you want? What do you need? What's going on? And they're just like, wow, Veronica again, because a lot of times in first nation communities in the North specifically, um, a lot of people will say, Hey, I have all these stuff and I'm just going to send you whatever I have, not whatever your community needs. And then it's usually just a one-off thing. So the fact that we are very consistent with sending stuff up and you know it's um it's it's been really nice to get the feedback of people saying hey it's so great that you're doing this again that this is happening again so mm-hmm. so we're, we're able to build on those relationships and that that spreads the word so that's good. awesome mm-hmm. when did you first sort of learn about the need for menstrual product donations in northern indigenous communities in canada because for full honesty, I learned in the last six months that this was mm-hmm. a problem. So yeah. when did it sort of come into your radar? It's really not something that is talked about in terms of barriers for Indigenous communities, period. A lot of the time, it's not discussed in mainstream media. You have to follow Indigenous news reports like CBC Indigenous, APTN, um, different Indigenous news outlets to get that information because otherwise it's not in our mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2017, I, my husband and I had just got back from traveling. We were overseas for 
about a year and a bit and um, I was out of work trying to find work back in in, in Toronto and um, I was reading a bunch of Vice articles and CBCs trying to get up on Canadian news. What did we miss? And this article from Vice Canada came up and it was an interview with Nicole. And so I read this and I was like, what? This is wild. Like, there's no way that this is happening right now. And then I was like, oh, I really, I really want to be a part of this. And then a couple of months went by and then another article came up from CBC Indigenous and I read it again and I was like, man, I really gotta, I gotta dig in here. So I emailed every single person. <laughs> I tried to contact every single person in that, that was listed in that article. And uh, everybody kind of just pushed me back to Nicole, check out Nicole, you need to message her. So I got a hold of Nicole and she's like, okay, well, I'm in Saskatchewan. So I mean, for you to send me items is gonna be like very expensive. So, you know, if you are you're interested in you know doing this in Ontario then you know it, it would be great and it just kind of started like that so I I cold called First Nation communities in the north and I said hey I'm gonna do this do you is this something that you would be interested in is this a need in the community and some people were like no we're good like don't worry about it other people were like sure you know send me whatever you got one time kind of thing and then other people were like absolutely we need this we need a lot of this um and so it just kind of blossomed from those those phone calls mm -hmm. and what are the what are some of the barriers that um northern indigenous communities are facing with regards to menstrual, menstrual products just sort of ballpark barriers that you see frequently well, in the, in the article that Nicole um, was interviewed for, it talked about how an MP, she was connected with the NDP party and an MP, I guess, in one of their meetings had talked about these young teenagers had come up to her and said, hey, like, do you have any menstrual products because we don't have anything. And uh, so this woman had brought this to this conversation to the table and Nicole was like, what are you talking about? This is, this is not okay. You know, indigenous youth are already facing so many different barriers than what we face. We don't, we don't face those things really. I mean, obviously there's period inequity in, in urban centers and things like that, but not to the extent, like we can go to the dollar store if we need to, we can go to the Red Cross if we need to, we can go to the food bank. In Northern communities, they don't have that, they don't have those. Yeah. And so when you're looking at the price of things uh, in, in Northern communities, there is usually just the one grocery store. It's called North Mart or the Northern store. It's kind of like known as the Walmart of the North. Okay. And in that sense, they kind of have a bit of a monopoly on the groceries. On top of that, it is very expensive to ship stuff up. Hydro is expensive. It has to go trains, planes, automobiles, multiple different people. It's it you have to pay all those people. So obviously the prices are going to be higher. But you know, in some communities in in none of it, there was a package of water it was to one hundred and two dollars for twenty four pack of bottled water. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and then another one was eighty four dollars for the same. If you actually Google and go onto the North Mart website, they do not list their prices. Wow. They do not list their prices. Um, and I don't really know why that is, but part of me wants to know why. A big part <laughs> of me wants to know why. Um, but I mean, in terms of bears, we could, we could go on and on and on and on. The price is a big one. 
And also actually one of the, I always ask for feedback when we send items up just so that I know that, you know, did you get the right stuff? Did everything get there? You know, was everything well received? If we're sending reusable items, how did, how were they received? Um, and one of the feedback from the women in Northern Quebec this time was, you know, thank you so much for sending these up because sometimes our cargo doesn't come in and we just don't have anything in the community. So it's not even that they don't have access to affordable stuff. It's like physically don't even have it in their communities sometimes because of, you know, weather or the winter or, you know, cargo is delayed or something like that. So. Oh my goodness. It's a, lot, um, it's a lot of things. Yeah. So there approximately um, can our listeners sort of expect where their donations are going. So how, how far is the reach of this? Mm-hmm. In Ontario, what we focus on is really more of the eastern part of the country, only because we have Nicole in Saskatchewan, myself in Ontario, and we've just opened a BC chapter where three lovely people are running that. So uh, I'm really the only we're the only group over in the eastern part. So we do all of uh, Ontario, lots of different spread all over Ontario. Uh, and then also into Northern Quebec. We've also supplied some to Labrador and uh, two locations in Nunavut. Wow. So our main, the main places that we send to are high schools, a lot of high schools, uh, healthcare centers. We supply a food, um, a food supply uh, or a food bank um, and in Nunavut and a YMCA, sorry, a YWCA. I believe it is a shelter. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's, a, it's a big range of, of who we supply. And then within those communities, they will give them to those people that, that need it. So in the healthcare centers, they know the people that are struggling most within the communities. They will always reach out to those, but they always keep some in the healthcare center also to make sure that they're well stocked for anybody who comes in and are able to give to them. Wow. And... I guess this is sort of the answer is within the question, but why do you think it's so important for, you know, menstruators who do live in the South, who have access to these things that we take for granted? Why do you think it's so important that we really pay attention to this and we really do what we can to try and help with period equity in the communities that need us, that need it the most? Uh, Well, I think that that is a really layered question when we look at the relationship that Southern non-Indigenous and Indigenous people have with Northern communities. And um, looking at the creation of reserves and the location of um, all of these different First Nations that were broken up into these smaller reserves. uh, When we look at treaty rights, what has been promised to them from the Canadian government that has not been fulfilled uh, you know, we're looking at, <laughs> we're looking at a lot of things that Southern people need to start to, to really pay attention to the voices that have literally been screaming for centuries. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is, it's pretty eye-opening when you start to learn about Indigenous issues and how ignored it is whether it's period inequity, whether it's housing, whether it's clean water, mm-hmm. uh, schooling, it, it, it is um, youth suicide. Yeah. 
you know, like there, there are a lot of really, really heavy things that really are the result of uh, broken treaties mm -hmm. and Indian residential schools. Mm -hmm. um, those are those are really the two main kickers that that have kind of swung the indigenous community from being extremely prosperous, you know, for over ten thousand years on this on this land, having their own governance, their own way of living. Um, they were they were doing wonderfully yeah. here. And when settlers came and we kind of, you know, we had that allyship with them for a couple of hundreds of years, but then things changed. And that whole switch to kind of the paternal uh, relationship, not seeing indigenous people now as allies to a certain extent, but now like, I need to, take care of you because you are uncivilized and you are without God and all of these things. Now you have to go to Indian residential schools. And that was just, it was just a big turning point. And once you learn about those things, it is very, very, very difficult to, to look away. Yeah. For me personally, I find that it's very difficult for me to look away and to not speak about those issues to those people who are just learning about it, you know? Um, yeah, it's, 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 there's a layer, it's a lot of layers. It's a yeah. lot of layers. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with what you said though, in that once you start learning, you really can't look away from it because I think it was back in the summer of this year or of 2020, um, Scotland made menstrual products free mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everyone was talking about this is the best thing ever. <clears throat> oh my goodness, this is excellent. This is so great for menstruators in Scotland. And then all of the, the posts started coming. It's like, yes, this is great for Scotland. But did you know about the period mm -hmm. inequities here in Canada? And that's sort of this exact thing that happened to me is like, once I started learning that I was like, oh my goodness, like, mm -hmm. I can't not pay attention to this. Um, so yeah, I think that's, it's really interesting that you brought up that point, because I think that we like and me and people who look like me as settlers have a responsibility to mm -hmm. learn about everything that has happened that we were never taught and mm -hmm. really take it upon ourselves to be like, okay, I wasn't taught this in school. I wasn't taught this in university. This isn't followed in mainstream media. It's up to yeah. me to take it upon myself to learn about this and do what I can to mm -hmm. try and help and do something about it. So yeah, and I can see it's it's a very daunting uh, and dark uh, part, but there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of um, resurrection of community and culture and language and all of these things that you know. It's good to focus on what happened, but also then to focus on the movement forward and what what indigenous groups are doing now and um, and uh, and how they're surviving and how they have survived over so many years you know it's it's been a pretty beautiful thing but it, there are a lot of resources online it's just it can be very daunting for sure for a lot of people but yeah this is a good introduction you know it's a good introduction to you know learn about this yeah i know totally. i know actually last um i think it was last year there was a a young woman who had posted about how she was in a an airport in calgary and I guess the price of a box of tampons was like $16 or something like that. And so she posted it and there was all this media attention and Nicole and I are just like, what? Like that's cheap. 
Yeah. That's, that's a good price. <laughs> Can we, let's buy that in bulk, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of also sparked a lot of, of conversation about uh, the price of things in Northern communities as well. So. Um, so when you're collecting things throughout the years, what have you noticed, um, in terms of products, what are the most in demand? What are the people that you're helping looking for? Uh, we, again, like I said, we, ha we always get feedback from after we send stuff up. And now that we've been working with these communities for a couple of years, we're like, okay, you, you're asking for pads, but what, it, what is still on the shelf? Sometimes we get giant pads that are this big mm -hmm. packages that are... <laughs> that are this large um, and that it takes up a lot of room in the packing for sure. And it's also, those are just not, not always requested, especially for sending to high schools. If we are sending to, um, we just connected with a midwife. And so those are actually pretty good because after just a, a public safety announcement here, after you have a baby, frozen pads are your best friend. <laughs> and so you just soak them into water and you put yep. them in the freezer. And so those thicker ones are actually a little bit better. Um, but uh, overall, our main request right now is for disposable, thin, lightweight pads. That's our big one. But we do take in everything menstrual related. So that includes hot water bottles. That was a new request this year. And some also some, some period pain relief. Um, and, um, what else, uh, menstrual cups we take in, um, cloth pads we take in, uh, Nick, things like Nick's like period underwear and things like that. So, um, we always ask what the community wants before. And every single time I do a drive, I always send, here's a request form. Let me know what you want. Um, because it is mine and Nicole's uh, number one priority to send what the community wants, not what we think is best for the community. Right. So a lot of times a Western view of a charity is, oh, they need help. We're just going to send them whatever we have. Yeah. But then those things just don't get used or, you know, people will just throw them out or they just sit there and it's just a waste. So, um, so yeah, we always ask beforehand what it is that they want. So definitely thin lightweight pads, That's number awesome. one. Mm -hmm. um, also in terms of like what we down here in the South and Westerners uh, and what we think is the best, if you will, a lot of the times it's like reusable, like the entire environmental movement right now is super amazing and, and it's awesome and I'm all for mm -hmm. the environmental movement but you know are reusables the most appropriate thing to be sending to a lot of these communities that need time sisters donates to we do get that a lot about menstrual cups specifically uh, we always take them in we've just partnered with diva cup they donated 200 cups to us this past fall oh. drive which was wonderful nice. uh, but I really only sent up about 50 to different locations because there really is not a major demand for menstrual cuffs. Number one, they don't really even know that they exist. So we are usually the first people to tell them about them. I do always send uh, a little video of like, hey, here's Diva Cup or like different cups. Um, this is the idea, the concept of it. Uh, two, a lot of indigenous communities are, do not use what we term an inserter. And so a tampon or a diva cup. And that is from a cultural perspective. When you look at your moon time, it is a cleansing time. 
And so if you are using an inserter, it's not necessarily in line with the concept of a cleansing time. Mm. And so uh, that's not to say that they, they aren't used. Some communities are open to, to trying them or to using them, um, but they, uh, we, we don't, we will not send it up if there's not a request. Another issue is the water boil advisories. And so a lot of our communities um, are still, I think there are still, I have to check this number, but I think that there are still a hundred communities. Maybe it's down to 50. I know that Justin Trudeau has been working to get those uh, alleviated, but there's obviously still a lot of work to do. But in order for us to send a Diva cup, it has to be washed every single time in clean water. Um, and it has to be sanitized, you know, to a certain extent afterwards. And so if we are sending these cups, we're asking people to have to boil their water to, to, to clean it every single time they use it, or we're asking them to use their very expensive drinking water. Think about that 24 bottles of water is $102. That was a one-off kind of thing. I don't think that that is an average price, but the fact that it can go up to that price, you know, one liter bottle that you get is sometimes $20. So I'm asking you to <laughs> to pour out at $20, like $5 a wash, you know? So it is creating another barrier when we are looking at um, sending in reusables. Totally, that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense and is definitely something that I didn't think about at first until I started really diving deep. It's like, oh, if, if they don't have access to these things all the time, if the shipments aren't coming, if they're really expensive, let's just send them reusables that they can use over and over and over, mm -hmm. one-time thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when you really start looking at the barriers and the issues that these communities face, you, you come to realize that that may not always be appropriate. Sometimes it may be appropriate, but it may mm -hmm. not always be the case. So it's a really awesome point that you brought up about that. Um, mm -hmm. Awesome in the way that it's informative, obviously not, not a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and that was, that was a learning curve for me as well. Right. So we have a community, we have two communities across the river from each other. One is you know doing quite well in terms of their water quality um when i ask also about cloth pads they have to be washed in a machine like really to be properly sanitized mm -hmm. and uh the one community is you know most people have washing machines and dryers in their homes within the community across the river they don't have access uh to clean water and when I talked to the person at the healthcare center, he's like, not a lot of people here have washing machines in their homes. Yeah. So literally across the river, but um, the need is so different. Yeah. Um, the things um, we take for granted, my goodness. Mm -hmm. yeah. <sighs> That's uh, very loaded when you really put things into perspective like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on average, uh, or sort of, I guess, what does a year uh, for Moontime Sisters look like? Do you have different things that happen throughout the year? How many drives do you do? Things like that. It's definitely changing. Uh, we started with two drives, one in the spring, one in the fall. But as we were getting bigger, we were getting bigger drives and didn't have really as many communities that we were sending to. So I just focused just on the fall drive, always the month of October, no matter what, we will always do a drive at that point. 
Um, this year we're doing a, a, just a, a, a little bit of a quiet spring drive only because there are th I just connected with three new communities and I don't want to have to wait until the end of the year to send them stuff. And I have enough people who have reached out to say like, hey, you know, I have some items or I'm going to do a drive or, you know, I'm doing this podcast and, you know, we're going to do some collection. So uh, we're going to have enough to send to those three communities in the springtime. But always, always, always we do October. That, that's really our big month for getting everything together. Uh, and then throughout the year, Nicole and I are kind of just doing talks like this, um, different kinds of interviews. We did before pre-COVID, we had a couple events that we would go to and, and kind of set up a table and just chat to people in that sense. So it just, it just kind of depends what's going on. Because of the whole transition onto kind of more of a Zoom platform or an on online platform, we've been really inundated with talks, a lot of talks, which is wonderful. It is because it's great to get the word out. It's great to have these conversations. Um, but we've had a couple of people where it, it doesn't quite make sense based on the panel of why we're being asked to speak and I think that it is really because they want to have indigenous voices at the table um, and they want to have that kind of part as part of their panel which again is really lovely but people really need to understand that when we are asking um, the BIPOC population to hey, you know what, we want you on your panel, we want you on your panel, is very overwhelming for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people that are still going through intergenerational trauma, they're still going through all of these things that it's really great that, you know, these spaces are opening up, but with those spaces opening up is also the pressure, yeah. which we really need to try to alleviate. We need to take that back a step. So Nicole and I have, um, we're actually talking next week just to look at, some of the, some of the the people that are emailing us, which again is we we're so grateful for every single person that it, it reaches out to us, but you know it it doesn't always fit menstruation, which is a little bit confusing. And then in that sense, then they're just looking for the indigenous piece, which you know is great again, but you know, yeah, not I the think, best, not the best. I think that yeah. I I think about this in a in a different context. Um, so I work at Patagonia and mm -hmm. um, we work with a lot of not-for-profits, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and we also do a lot of corporate orders. So this is very different scale, but just sort of so you know where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. um, and because Patagonia has taken such a hard stance in terms of environmentalism, ethics, sustainability, politics, everything like that, um, when we have people reaching out to us that are like, hey, I want to order you know, 300 of this item. And now we actually have a full-on application process that's like, are your morals and values mm -hmm. and mission in alignment with us? Because if not, then we don't really want to work with you. Like, we don't want you flaunting our brand if you're someone who's going out to, you know, put up a dam or to take someone's land away from them. Like, we're not going to do that. So yeah. I sort of relate, I relate to you in that context because we deal with that a lot at Patagonia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I have to applaud people to do that. Patagonia. I love Patagonia. I, I, it's the best. It's the, I, I even watch the documentaries on the founder and everything. So it's, um, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that companies like that are, 
are doing that because we have to make people accountable. You know, it's, you can't just be like, Hey, what's up? Let's, you know, let's have a time. It's like, but what, what are your intentions here? Like, what are your, what, are, what, what are you getting out of it? That is that you're kind of taking from us in a sense, you know? Yeah. Whereas have, people who are talking about women's health and talking about menstruation, like absolutely will be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about periods. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, on average, if you have any sort of figures and numbers, how many products does Moontime Sisters distribute annually or in total or any, any numbers or figures you have? I have a chart. So after the first year, we started to count everything uh, that came in, which is a lot of, of, of time, but it's definitely worth it. Uh, so this year we sent over 225,000 items. Um, last year, I think it was 240. Wow. Uh, this year was very surprising because we did this during COVID yeah. um, and it was very different. We didn't have a packing part or uh, anything like that. So the volunteers really took on a lot of work. I was not expecting 225,000. I was like, if we hit 50,000, I'm going to be very, very happy and pleased with this. And we had 225,000, which was wild. Um, yeah, last year was definitely our biggest year. And then I think the year before that was like 150. So really, really jumped um, the last couple of years. The last two years is really, really jumped. But so we always like now that we've set the bar at 240 that's that's always kind of the uh the goal we're sending now to we're going to be at, at 30 communities that we are sending to so um those numbers yeah we just got to keep driving them up and driving them up so and how many communities were you sending to four years ago uh, one one <laughs> one community was my first one yeah so now we're at 30 just goes to show that like one step in the right direction can really create a snowball. Yeah. I didn't actually really think about that until this, until you said that, that's pretty wild that four years ago we were at one and today we're at 30. That is <laughs> that's incredible. pretty, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered all the things. Is there anything else that the listeners should know about your donation should know about Moontime sisters? Um, is there anything else you think they should know? Um, we also, we also do take in monetary donations, um, through the website. You do get a tax receipt because we have partnered with True North Aid, uh, who is a registered charity. They kind of took us under their wing, but still leave us very autonomous, which is really nice. Um, and that helps with all of our shipping. So just as a, a general guideline without any kind of support from the airlines, which sometimes we get, sometimes we don't get. The Ottawa group, we sent up 20, about, about 23 or 24, less than 25,000 items, and it cost over $4,000. Wow. So that shipping is really expensive. So um, we have been working with airlines to try and get, now that we're doing this again for a couple of years, to get a charitable rate that's lower. Um, these boxes are not heavy. They're large, but they're not heavy by any means. So um, that, that any kind of, if you don't really feel comfortable right now, obviously because of COVID to donate a physical item, monetary items always help as well because, uh, shipping is crazy. Shipping is crazy. And if we have extra and we are maybe low on numbers, then, uh, we always use that money to purchase items. Um, and to also send to our non-fly-in locations. Our fly-in locations are always our number one, but if we do have 
a, a lot of extra, then we send to places like Grassy Narrows. Um, they have a lot of um, a lot of issues going on with their water, mercury poisoning. It's been a mess. Um, so we really like to support them and uh, and let them, you know, know that also they are we're thinking of them as well through this whole thing. Uh, so that those always help also. Yeah. And I never would have thought about shipping either because people were like, oh, I've, I've donated all the products. I've done my part, but it's like, who's going to pay the shipping? Where, mm -hmm. where does that come from? There's all these little bits and pieces and bits and bobs that we don't necessarily mm -hmm. think of. Um, so that's, yeah. that's really great. People can totally donate to the website. I will put the website in the show notes. I've been on there. I've seen it. It's super user-friendly. Like Perfect. It would take a yes. couple of minutes for someone to donate. Yep, exactly. It's it's really quick. Like you just go on the Moontime Sisters Ontario, go down and it, there's a donate button and that's it. That's it. Pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it, it There's one little tricky thing about the website we're trying to get worked out. <laughs> okay. Is that in the comment box on our page, you have to write Moontime Sisters Ontario because when, when the person who does all the financing from uh, True North Aid, they the money just kind of gets funneled into the healthcare account, which we do have access to, which is great, but we have our own Moontime Sisters Ontario account that we access first. And so it's always just nice to know that things are gonna come into that account so that we can also know how much we've raised um, throughout the year. So that's the only tricky thing. We are working on getting that fixed, but okay. we'll see how so it goes. Comment box, write Moontime Sisters for all monetary donations. Yes, Moontime Sisters Ontario. Moontime Sisters Ontario. Yeah, okay, and it'll will... come directly to the Ontario chapter. Okay, I will include that in the show notes and obviously people are listening to it right now. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I think we've covered most of the things. Obviously there's yeah. a million and one things that we can yes. do. <laughs> um, but Absolutely. I, I think this is a really good place to start. And um, I know my listeners would be really grateful for you coming mm -hmm. on the show and just letting them know that this is a legit thing. Like this is a legit company. This is absolutely not just yeah. going out into the void. Like you guys are going to take care of it. Yeah. Every, everything, everything is followed. Everything is documented. Everything is everything we, <laughs> we, yeah. we are. Uh, and also we're part of a charitable organization, right? So that definitely gives us um, some backing as well. Yeah. You, you seem incredibly thorough. So I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so mm -hmm. much, Veronica. And I can't wait to get everything to you guys. Like, yes, oh, I'm, just, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited too. I'm excited to see the response of our listeners because we talk about menstrual health and periods and all things women's health and women's socioeconomic struggles and everything like that. So I'm really hoping that our listeners can find a place, whether it be big or small, the smallest donation still matters. Absolutely. Um, and those larger donations, if you can do it, amazing. But every little mm -hmm. bit counts. Mm -hmm. One package of pad helps. <laughs> One yeah. package. And even open packages. We take open packages so long oh. as they are individually wrapped because we make little kits for the high schools. So rather than opening up a brand new packs, we, as long as they are in good use, and um, I always say to my volunteers, if you would use it, then send it. So Amazing. That is really good to know. Okay, thank mm -hmm. you so much, Veronica. Yeah. And we will chat soon. Okay, thanks so much, Bethany. Appreciate it. I really want to extend a huge thank you to Veronica and for Moontime Sisters for ensuring our donations are distributed properly, offering choice, equity, and education. The need is there.
menstrual products should not be a luxury. They should not be a financial burden. Menstrual products should not range between $16 to $45 per package. The Estrogen Empire, it's time. If you can donate anything, please know that every donation makes a huge difference. Let's do this. We have a couple of weeks and the donations are so important. I am accepting donations to be dropped off at my apartment in Toronto. Donations can be dropped off at my home in Camelford. Donations can be mailed to me, mailing address provided upon DMs. If you would like to donate, please send me a message on Instagram at bee.spiers and I will try and arrange a way that we can get whatever your donations are to me by March 8th. So there you have it. We have until March 8th to collect as much as we possibly can so we can pass it on to Moontime Sisters so they can help menstruators bleed with dignity. Let's do this.